Eric and I have been, uh, my husband's Eric, he's another pastor here at the Story Houston. Him and I have been uh, switching uh, preaching duties for the last uh, 20 years. And thank you. <laughs> and there are so many things that we wish would have never come out of our mouths during those 20 years. Take it for example, um, and especially when we're preaching in each other's languages. Take it for example, the first time that Eric uh, preached in Spanish, <clears throat> he decided that he was going to share a prayer request before his sermon for one of the missionaries that we had on staff. And um, so he said, uh, literally, hermanos y hermanas, quiero queremos por hermana Susi, ella fue atacada ayer y le dieron un embarazo. And uh, for anybody who knows Spanish, that means uh, brothers and sisters, we need to pray for our sister Susie because she was attacked yesterday and they gave her a pregnancy. <laughs> and a guy from the back shouted, who did it? <laughs> and Eric said, two guys in the parking lot. <laughs> and I couldn't run fast enough from the back to whisper in his ear, honey, um, Un balazo means got shot, embarazo means got pregnant. <laughs> well, here in Houston, Texas, one of the wildest and most diverse cities in the world, um, we know a lot about the complexities of uh, language and cultural barriers. Um, I actually sometimes wonder how things work so smoothly because we just don't understand each other. Uh, wherever I go, the grocery store, Starbucks, there are at least four languages, four different languages being spoken around me, and none of those are English or Spanish. Uh, the other day, I got this email from this lady, and she said adios in her uh, email, so I was excited. I was like, I'm gonna meet a Spanish speaker tomorrow. I'm gonna practice my Spanish. I hardly practice it anymore. And I show up the next day, and I say, hola, como estas? And she says, uh, I do speak English, you know? And I was like, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to speak anymore. <laughs> that is the kind of context in which our passage today was written. Uh, if you can please follow along side with me uh, in your Bibles, uh, it's Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And it says, when the day of Pentecost, Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, 
we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues, in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. Can I get some support for a Hispanic sister reading those hard names? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> that Houston-like assembly with people from all over the world is the kind of setting in which the Holy Spirit descends upon that ecclesia or that uh, crowd of Christ followers for the first time. Can you imagine how cool that would be if that happened here in Houston? Uh, can it happen here in Houston, Lord, especially when I'm in Target trying to find something? Um, they are so elated, and the crowds start getting attracted to this joyous occasion. Uh, they start drawing crowds, and as the crowds are coming in, they're saying, oh, well, they're just drunk. That's why they're acting like that. Now, from the disciples' perspective, what they were experiencing was powerful because they had been promised power from the Holy Spirit by Jesus. When Jesus was ascending into heaven, he said to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now you and I know how hard it can be to understand something that we haven't experienced. I imagine that's how the disciples felt whenever Jesus told them, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit, from this entity called the Holy Spirit. I, I imagine they looked at Jesus and said, well, that's great, Jesus. Thank you for letting us know that. It's kind of like whenever parents are preparing for the arrival of their new baby, their first baby, and they have a baby shower, and all their friends and family come to the baby shower. They shower them with love, and they tell them, this is going to be awesome, but you will never sleep again. <laughs> and the parents go like, oh, that's great. I, yeah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She should get some sleep because we're going to be fine. And then the baby arrives, and there is awesome. There is awesome, but they never sleep again. You know, that's, I, I feel that's how uh, this news uh, came to the disciples. They remembered what Jesus had said about the Holy Spirit, but they are blown away by what happens. They can't believe what's unfolding before their eyes. Basically, they see it's beyond what they can imagine. They see uh, the Spirit coming down upon them, and suddenly they're speaking a different language that they've never studied before. And then they realize that they better get moving because that same power that is among them through the Holy Spirit is the one that will empower them to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, as some of you know, I am the daughter of an Ecuadorian uh, mother and father, homemaker and architect slash pastor. Uh, before I was born, my dad committed to start a um, church, to plant a church in Quito, Ecuador, that blew up, became huge. And um, as all of the pastor's kids in our congregation, um, I also attended four services every Sunday and the Wednesday night service, of course. Um, but I am not, still not sure, even up to this day, why we even advertise the schedule, because I was shocked when a service would end in two hours. I mean, shocked. 
Uh, the 8 a.m. would meet like around 10:15, and we would still be at church. And if the pastors or the elders felt that the spirit hadn't moved yet, then we would have another altar call for any people who still are not saved. And of course, the, the altar call would last for a long time. And um, also, if somebody decided to prophesy in tongues, then we would have to wait for a translation. And then the translation would come, and it just would be so weird. And we would still be there, and the guys in the band had to keep playing the same song for like 10 minutes until they got done with all of that. Anyway, and there were these people in my congregation that were called the prayer warriors. Their job, according to what I can understand nowadays, was to ensure that everybody in our congregation spoke in tongues, because that was the sign of salvation for them. So... From the time I can remember, from the time I got baptized until I turned 15, they would find me anywhere in the congregation so they could lay, hand, lay hands on me. They could break my heart of stone and I could start, start speaking in tongues. Even when I wore a hat, mittens, uh, coat, they would still find me and they would still come and lay hands on my head. Well, this specific Sunday, I decided I was done. One year anniversary after my baptism, I went straight to the front. I kneeled at the altar. And I knew they would find me, and they did. They came, laid hands on me, and they were praising Jesus. And then I spoke in tongues. Yes. I said every single word I've ever read is learned in English, in French, and any made-up word I could think of very fast. <laughs> and they were like, thank you, Jesus. Finally, she has the gift of tongues. And I was like, thank you, God, for all the English and French lessons my parents paid for. <laughs> you know, it was a win-win. We all got what we wanted. Right then, at that moment, I realized that there will always be religious people who will try to make the Holy Spirit into some kind of Christian freak show that it isn't. But there will also be another extreme, and that is the extreme to which I, I got introduced later in life, in which there are churches that are so void of the Holy Spirit's movement that nothing unexpected ever happens in their midst. And the churches become barren, and people start wondering, why am I investing my time and resources into this church? Because nothing ever happens. Both can prefer, pre profess the right beliefs, but both become alienated from reality and cannot reach regular people with the gospel. One thing that those prayer warriors in Ecuador didn't know is that the Holy Spirit was already at work within me. It actually happened that night after I came back from my baptism. It was instant. I knew that my life would never be the same again. And I knew there was something different because I stopped doing all the mindless things that I had always done. Instead of going back from church to my house and binging on three hours of my favorite soap opera, I turned the TV off and I opened the window in my room and I looked at that beautiful sky that I hadn't noticed before and I saw those stars and they reminded me of the beauty of God and of Jesus, my Savior. And I praised with everything I had. 
And I said, thank you, Jesus, because I feel that because I accepted this grace that you freely give to me, I will never be the same again. And it was instant. You know, another person that had trouble believing that the same powerful spirit that descended on that first community of believers couldn't transform a heart so instantly was John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. I love that we are talking about prison minister because in, in the times when he was struggling, trying to feel what other people were feeling, that kind of powerful transformation that would never let them be the same again, uh, he went to the prison ministry and he was trying to do everything he could so he could discover what these other people had discovered themselves. And he went to talk to this prisoner in death row. They kneeled down to pray. And then this prisoner said to him, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I'm not afraid of death anymore. And John Wesley wondered, how is it that this person seems so transformed so instantly? I want that God. Then he went on to have his own experience. His brother Charles used to criticize him, saying that he's going to have to be like Paul. He's going to have to fall off the horse and wait three days to recover his sight before he starts feeling the presence of the Spirit in his heart. Yet John Wesley, during a prayer gathering, he finally said he felt his heart that was strangely warmed, and he felt the same thing that had prisoner had felt. He writes, he says, that I felt that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, yes, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. The moment I awakened the next morning, the love of Jesus, my master, was in my heart and my mouth. All my strength came from keeping my eyes fixed upon him and my soul waiting on him continually. John Wesley also suggests that there are these signs that the Spirit is present within us. Number one, the Holy Spirit opens our hearts to God's truth. We are able to proclaim that Jesus came, walked among us, died for our sins, resurrected, and gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could be his witnesses to the end of the earth. Number two, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins, so we no longer live blind to the things that are oppressing us and alienating us from God. Number three, repentance. The Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. And number four, the Holy Spirit challenges us to grow in our knowledge of God through Christ. And that is why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16, he says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I have become convinced that our collective commitment to being a spirit-driven church 
is the main reason why we are experiencing revival here at the story of Houston. Did you guys know we're experiencing revival? It doesn't look like the kind of revival that I'm used to. Let me tell you that. I mean, not the kind of church when you go and Adrian plays the first chord and we're like, amen, hallelujah, raising our hands. No, it doesn't look like that. But I've seen such a huge difference from the time that we were at the gym two years ago to the time that we are now. I mean, guys, you guys were clapping today. Can you believe that? I mean, like, I want to bring the Pentecostal in me and show you where the beat is, but you were clapping, and that's awesome. Revival doesn't look like it looks for other churches in here, but we're experiencing it. What's happening is that some of you two years ago would come in the gym and wouldn't sing anything and would stare at your clocks and would be so mad when Eric went past five minutes from the hour of worship service. Some of you wouldn't sing anything, would just sit down through the songs. What I've noticed is that lately, not only are you singing, but you're singing all the songs. And some of you are so overcome by God's spirit that I've seen you sitting down and crying your eyes through amazing grace. It's been amazing to see that you're letting the spirit take a hold of you and you're okay with that. You know, we might not be having that kind of revival in which people are shouting and screaming in tongues, but I have seen some incredible stories of transformation here in this community. And some of you are being inspired to start ministries that are changing the lives of so many other people in Houston and in other parts of the world. Dozens of couples, I mean dozens of couples, have decided to put their pride and resentment aside and to let Jesus take a hold of their marriages. People who have been attending churches, uh, churches for decades have decided that they're going to stop being spectators of church and that they're going to start becoming disciples. And by the way, guys, I never miss a chance. Don't forget to fill out your team's card. This is your chance. Many of you have realized that you are not alone in your fight against loneliness and depression because you discovered that your brothers in here and your sisters in here who are anointed by that Holy Spirit of power will suffer when you suffer, will cry when you cry, and they will also rejoice when you rejoice. Because they love with a different kind of love. You know, in the Acts passage that we read, I don't see people acting strange. I actually see people who are so overcome by God's spirit that they do unexpected things. And God is doing unexpected things here at the story. My prayer today is that we will not be afraid to let the spirit come and take over. And to let the spirit show us what unexpected things he wants to do with each and every one of us. Because we're just getting started. And I feel and I know that amazing things are in store for this community. If we are a spirit-driven church, let us pray. 
Jesus, today we are humbled by your presence. And I pray that you will continue the revival that's happening here at the story by allowing us to put our pride aside and to let you come into our hearts in powerful ways that we may do unexpected things that just go beyond our own imaginations and that our transformation not only for ourselves, for our families, for our communities, but for the world. May we proclaim the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, to the ends of the earth by allowing your spirit to use us, to move in us, to move through our communities in power.